don't know. Don't believe the hype. No. <laughs> Um, no, I, I promise this is the last week with the B team. You'll have the A team back with you next week. <laughs> um, no, I've, I've really enjoyed getting to know Pastor Michael and uh, listening to some of his sermons occasionally, especially in preparation for this one. Um, <clears throat> have you ever... Now, bear with me here. Have you ever seen someone wearing a T-shirt that was obviously intended to be offensive. Now, now I, I want you to think of it this way. Even if you agreed with what was on the T-shirt, it was, it's kind of like the, the, yes, I believe this and I know you hate it in your face. Um, I used to listen to a lot of country music and I still enjoy country music. Um, but there's, there's a certain brand within country music that's like this, proud in your face redneck just because i know you don't like it kind of attitude does anyone know what i'm talking about or am i all alone up here you know what i'm talking about uh, I, the the passage that we're going to talk about this morning first corinthians chapter 10 um made me think of those kinds of t-shirts um the idea being of offending on purpose or offending knowing that you're being offensive to some people most often, this, is, this would be in the, in the case of offending someone that you disagree with. It's like, well, I don't care that he's offended. I don't, you know, he, he, he's only offended because he doesn't agree with me. And, and that's how we uh, tend to justify those, those kinds of things. You see, the, our, our key principle this morning is often our pride is our biggest idol. As, as we're talking about this series of entitlement with the word idol in there, it, it means you know, what, what, what happens when our rights become an idol that we worship more than God. And the attitude behind that, the sinful heart attitude behind that is, of course, pride. It's me first. It's like, you know, like we were illustrating with the children this morning. I'm thinking, I'm thinking so much about me. I can't even see how others are affected. So if, if you turn your Bibles with me to first Corinthians chapter 10, first uh, Corinthians chapter 10, we're, we're going to read, we're going to go through this chapter. We're not going to read it all at once, but we're going to read it a, a chunk at a time. Uh, so we're going to start out with uh, chapter, chapter 10 verses one through five. Paul says, I, I want you to know, brothers, that our fathers were all under the cloud and all passed through the sea and all were baptized into Moses in the cloud and in the sea and all ate the same spiritual food and drank the same spiritual drink. He's referring there to the, the Israelites in their journeys through the desert. They're talking about being baptized through the sea where they, where they walked through the Red Sea. And it was as though they, they kind of went down. It almost represented death. Um, because apart from God drying up the land and moving the water out of the way, you'd have to be dead to be there. And then they came up out of it alive and well. Uh, that's what he's talking about, baptized uh, through that. All ate the same spiritual food. He's, he's, making, he's making reference to what we read about uh, from Exodus 32, where, where the, God provided them literal food, but he also provided them spiritual food in the form of the law and instruction through Moses. They all drank the same spiritual drink for the, they drank from the spiritual rock that followed them. The, and the rock was Christ. If you remember the story of the Israelites through the, through the desert, there was, there was multiple times where God gave them water out of a rock. And, and he's, he's making a parallel there 
Um, that yes, there was literal physical water, um, but there was also spiritual refreshment and God's care for them as well. Uh, verse five, nevertheless, with most of them, God was not pleased and they were overthrown in the wilderness. What I want us to get from, from the first point that I want us to get out of these first five verses, I think kind of sets the stage for where we're going because, because what, he, what he's saying here is mere association or participation with God or, or with God's people doesn't automatically equal wholehearted worship of him. I know that that's kind of a wordy point there. So if you were taking notes, good luck writing that down. I didn't even write all that down. I added some stuff. But just associating with God doesn't mean you're worshiping him with all of your heart. In our own lives today, I think this looks like just showing up to church. We encourage you to show up to church, obviously. We wouldn't, we wouldn't come and, and, and practice music and put sermons together and, and, and get the AC turned on and the coffee going if we didn't want people to come to church and hear the teaching of God's word. But if that's the extent of your devotion to God, then I, I want to submit that it is lacking. And, and that's, what, that's what Paul is saying here. The, the Israelites that, that went, went through the motions of going through the desert, going through all of that that God took them through, but, but never really, they were just along for the ride. They really never submitted to what God wanted for them. They were never really grabbed hold of God's law. In fact, once they got the law, we, we can see how they reacted even before they got it. And after they got it, don't think they were any happier about following it. Because they were, they were kind of like, oh, cool, free ride out of Egypt, no slavery anymore. Okay, we'll go along. And then when things got hard, they complained. And so then God fed them, but then they didn't, they didn't really like what God was feeding them. So then God got them different stuff. And then, then uh, you know, we needed some structure. So God gives them the law and then they complained about the law. And, and, and we know that none of those people ended up making it to the promised land. They had to wander around for 40 years until all of them died off because God said, okay, that, you know what, that's, that's enough out of you because God could see their hearts. Mere association with God doesn't equal wholehearted worship of him. I, I think of the, the parable of the, one of the parables of the, of the, the sower, the wheat and the tares, where the, the, the farmer sows wheat in his fields. And as it starts to grow, his servants say, hey, um, there's stuff growing in there that's not wheat and it's not stuff we planted. I mean, didn't we? You did get good seed, right? I mean, we planted, it was wheat that we planted. And he said, yeah, you know what? An enemy must have, must have come and, and, and sown tares in our field. And her servant said, well, you want us to go tear them up? He said, no, 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 don't do that. Because if you tear up the, if you, if you pull up the tares, you're, you're also going to damage the wheat around it. Let them grow together and we'll sort them out when the harvest comes. The lesson from that being that God, it is God's responsibility to separate the wheat from the tares, spiritually speaking. Those, those that are truly devoted to him and those that are just along for the free ride. Now, the, the free ride gets real bumpy, and so sometimes it's easy to tell. But it's not our job. It's not our job to root them out. It's not our job to uh, e even judge them. God will do that. He says that in his word. And so 
my, my challenge to you with this is, Jesus, what did Jesus say was the greatest commandment? Love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. And, and, and that's what he's saying did not happen here. Those that are just along for the ride, those that are just going through the motions, there's no way that showing up to church on Sunday morning, if, if that's the extent of your spiritual life, there is no way that you love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. Because that says me first all week. And okay, I should go to church, so I will. And, and so, so I, I would challenge you. Make sure that your spiritual devotion is more than one out of seven days. Okay. Uh, the next chunk of verses here, verses uh, six through nine, he says, now, now these things took place as examples for us that we might not desire evil as they did. Do not be idolaters as some of them were. As it is written, the people sat down to eat and drink and rose up to play. I, I saw another, another translation says they sat down to eat and drink and rose up to party. I think it's probably probably works either way. He says we must not indulge in sexual immorality as some of them did. And 23,000 fell in a single day. We must not put Christ to the test as some of them did and were destroyed by serpents. Nor grumble as some of them did and were destroyed by the destroyer. What he's talking about is and he's writing to the Corinthian church that wasn't necessarily full of Jewish people that had grown up hearing these stories. So he's kind of, he's kind of uh, telling these stories as well because you've got a, you've got a Greek church here, a Roman church that, that didn't necessarily grow up with this heritage. And so he's saying, hey, listen, there's been people already that walked down this road of lip, lip service to God and it really didn't work out for them. Don't do that. Don't do what they did. He's saying that there's, there's a hole in that road. You're walking, if, if, if you walk down the road that they went down, you're going to fall in the same hole that they fell in. You see, when you follow someone else, you tend to go where they went. It, it's really hard to follow someone else and not end up exactly where they went. Um, if, if you do, then I, I'm going to suggest you probably lost the trail at some point. When you follow someone, you go where they go. You, you tend to go where they went. You tend to get what they got. I, I think of one of my favorite jokes to tell teenagers from when I was in youth ministry. Okay, so, uh, so two guys walked into a bar, which was stupid because the second one should have ducked. It's a dumb joke. But, but the, the point being, when you follow someone else, you tend to get the same thing that they got. You tend to um, go where they went. The, the idea of trying the same thing over and over again and expecting different results. That's crazy. That's the definition of insanity. It, it doesn't work like that. And, and so to think that we can walk in someone else's footsteps and not fall into the same traps is nothing short of pride. As, as we look at this next chunk of verses here, I, I hope you'll be, you'll be challenged in this because this is really what he's talking about. He says now, verse 11, he says, now these things happened to them as an example, but they were written down for our instruction on whom the, the end of ages have come. Therefore, let anyone who thinks that he stands take heed lest he fall. 
No temptation has overtaken you that is not common to man. God is faithful, and he will not let you be tempted beyond your ability. But with the temptation, he will always provide a way of escape that you may be able to endure it. One of the biggest principles that I'd like you to take away from this message is in this verse right here. And it's this. Hubris in the face of temptation is foolishness. Hubris being, being this proud idea that I can do what others did and not get what they got. This idea that, that I'm stronger than those that came before me and so I will get different results. That's hubris. An, an, arrogant, an arrogant charging forward where others have already found out was a bad place to go. Hubris in the face of temptation is foolishness. God provides a way out of temptation that pride will keep us from seeing. I often think most of my illustrations go back to my 10 years in youth ministry. So you, you get what teenagers get, but, but I think these truths apply. Um, I would often speak to teenagers about sexual purity um, for obvious reasons. And one of the things that I would often tell them is it, it's the, the guys, especially we would find ourselves in a situation where there is the opportunity to sin. And there's this attitude that says, I, I want to put myself in that situation and then be strong. And like, you know, look, well, look, we were in this situation and we didn't do anything wrong. And look how great I look because now look how strong Look how strong I was to not fall to that temptation. And that's complete foolishness. That's, that's pride above purity. The Bible says, especially in the category of, of sexual temptation, to just flee. God knows how he made us. He made that one a little too strong. Don't try and stand on that one. Just get out. Get out of the situation. But see, pride in that situation will keep you from seeing the way out, which is literally getting out. But it's true in a lot of other, a lot of other examples too. We, we, could, we could go on and on. But when, when, we want, when we want the pats on the back, we want the, the recognition of how, how strong we were in the face of temptation because that, that, wow, isn't that really cool? And so often that's where we fall. As, as, as someone in ministry, it... It's very, it's scary, it's humbling, it's a strong reminder when we see, because we see it all the time, strong, powerful men in ministry that fall. Uh, you know, fall from greatness. They, 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 fall, they fall into some kind of sin and, you know, it, it gets exposed and, and they're, they're brought to nothing. And it is, it is such a powerful reminder to me because if it can happen to them, it can definitely happen to me. And pride wants me to not see that. Pride wants me to think, oh, good grief, how could you be so stupid as to, as to fall for that or be involved in that or, or fill in the blank. But the reality is we are all susceptible. And the, the, moments, the moment that we decide, well, that's, that wouldn't happen to me because I just wouldn't do that, You've already taken the first step toward that. 
Hubris in the face of temptation is foolishness. You see, this happens especially when we're focused on our own rights because often the way of escape involves surrendering our rights. Well, but I can do this. Well, sure you can, but is it, is it good? We're going to look at that here in the, in the, next, in the next chunk here. He, he, he talks about, we're actually uh, two chunks. We're two chunks away from those verses. Uh, verse, verse 14, he says, Therefore, my beloved, flee from idolatry. I speak as to sensible people. Judge for yourselves what I say. That's, that's, uh, that's Paul's Bible way of saying, this is not rocket science. I'm speaking as to sensible people, okay? You, you, can, you can figure this out. Surely you can draw the line between this bad idea and what's going to happen if you do it. It says, the cup of blessing that we bless, is it not a participation in the blood of Christ? He's talking about communion here. Uh, he's going to talk about a cup and, and bread. He's talking about communion, the ordinances of the church that, that we take, the sacraments. The, the cup of blessing that we bless, is it not a participation in the blood of Christ? The bread that we break, is it not a participation in the body of Christ? Because there is one bread, we who, we who are many are one body, for we all partake of the one bread. Consider the people of Israel. Are, are not those who eat the sacrifices participants in the altar? What do I imply then? That the food offered to idols is anything? Or, or that an idol is anything? No. I imply that what pagans sacrifice, they offer to demons and not to God. I don't want you to be participants with demons. You cannot drink the cup of the Lord and the cup of demons. You cannot partake of the table of the Lord and the table of demons. Shall we provoke the Lord to jealousy? Are we stronger than he He's making a powerful illustration here between the eating of meat sacrificed to idols, which is like that was the big, I'm sure you talked about that this last week with Patrick, eating meat sacrificed to idols was kind of the big social, like, is this okay to do thing in their culture? And he, he's drawing a line between that and participating in communion. Or, or, or if you, or if you go back, because some, some in this church were of Jewish heritage, and so he's he's talking about the the Levites that would then eat the food that had been essentially cooked on the altar. That was like a lot of it for the Levites to eat. They were the ones that offered the sacrifices. They were participants in it, and he's he's saying that knowingly participating in this is some sort of association, and it does matter. It does matter to some extent. He's saying, no, I, listen, meat sacrificed to idols, no. I mean, I, idols, they're, they're, not, they're not a thing. Obviously, we know that like, they're not, you know, oh, we worship this God. Well, that God's not real. So, and, and that was the, like some of the people that were of the mind that, yeah, we should be able to do this. Their point was, okay, they're offering it to a God that's not real. So why does that matter? But Paul's point is, yeah, but, but it, it does matter to some people. And we need to be sensitive to those people, even if you're pretty sure they're wrong. Let me say that again. We need to be sensitive to those people, even if you're pretty sure they're wrong. This applies in our lives today. I, I don't, I think you would have to look really hard to find meat that had been sacrificed to idols anywhere in the Ocala metro area. But that's not the point. 
It's not just about that. There's all kinds of things that we can participate in that uh, someone else, that might be a big stumbling block to someone else. I know, I know Patrick talked to you last week about um, some guys that we golf with um, that are recovering alcoholics. And we just like, we, we don't drink around them. We don't even talk about it. Like we, we make a point not to joke about that kind of stuff or talk about it because like that's a real thing in their lives. We're not, we're not going to do that. And we're not going to, we're not going to place that stumbling block in front of that person. Well, well, but is, so is it sin then if we, if we have a beer on the golf course? That's not the point. That's not the point. And that's what Paul's saying. This whole thing about meat sacrifice to idols, there's, there's people that came out of that. There's people in the Corinthian church that grew up eating meat sacrificed to idols because they were the ones that sacrificed it to idols. And like that was a thing for them. And so for them, getting saved and getting involved in the church meant getting away from all of that. And so it was a big deal to some people. And, and Paul's saying, listen, I know for some of you this isn't a thing. And I'm not saying it has to be a thing all the time. But around these people, you need to be sensitive to that. What we knowingly participate in or associate with matters. Now, I, I want to I make a very important distinction here. And that's a, a, different, a distinction between evangelicalism and fundamentalism. Fundamentalism sounds really spiritual because it sounds like we're building a foundation on the fundamentals we're we're you know going back to basics and you know sound doctrine and all of that but let me tell you what one of the one of the key differences between evangelicalism and fundamentalism now this is not, this is going to sound really academic at first and I, for, forget the words okay the, the point is this evangelicalism says the furtherance of the gospel is like the most important thing we need, to, we need to pursue that. We need to make that possible wherever we can. Fundamentalism says that what matters, I want to say most, I don't think it matters here. What is very important is, is who we're seen maybe associating with. So, so my thing would, it would be this. By way of illustration, let's, let's say I'm not good with Ryan. Okay, I've got, I've got major beef with him. I don't really. This is illustration. Okay, I've got a big problem with Ryan and, 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 and I don't like him. But I, but I like Michael. Michael's a good guy. He's a stand-up guy. Fundamentalism says, well, wait a minute, but Michael is good with, with Ryan. Like, they're friends. So, so, so now me and Michael aren't good. You see what I mean? It's called, that, that's, the, that's the concept of secondary separation. You know, I, 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 have, I have no differences theologically. I have no difference, no, no problems with Michael. But since, he, since he's willing to associate with, with Ryan, then, then I can't associate with Michael. This, this separate, you know, second degree of separation thing. That is, that is something that, that we uh, pre pretty strongly reject. And, and, and here's why. That is a roadblock to the gospel in so many ways. Because, because where does it end? I'll, I'll tell you where it ends because all you have to do is, is look at, look at and, and forget Westboro Baptist, okay? That, that's, they're like a next level. I'm pretty sure that's a, like a, a lawsuit trap 
money-making scheme anyway, not a real church. But you, you, look, at, you look at some of these churches that, that you, know, you know all about what they're against, but you don't really know for sure what they're for. And, and if you ask the unsaved, the unsaved world around you, what is the church, what is the church against? Oh, they could, they could give you the whole list because the church at large, I don't want to say, I'm not saying our church or our little family of churches, but the church at large has done a great job of communicating to the world, all the things we're against. But what are we for? Because there's some things that we're for. I'm not, I'm not taking this to the extent of, you know, the, the all inclusive, we just embrace and celebrate everybody's lifestyle, no matter, no matter how contrary it is to scripture. I'm not saying that. I'm not saying that, but it's really important that we don't, we don't take this, this separation idea to the extent that it's like, okay, well, well then we pretty much can't associate with anyone except ourselves. And so then we become this inward focused, not gospel focused, you know, making sure everybody, everybody watching everybody else, making sure nobody steps out of line. Oh, you're out. You wore the wrong thing to church. You, you know, whatever. We, We don't do that. We don't do that here. But what we, what we knowingly participate in, getting back to this passage, what we knowingly participate in, that does matter. You see the difference? It, it, there's a difference between what we are associating with and, and involved in versus what this other person who knows somebody who's involved in. That, that's, not, that's not what matters. All right, before I get any further off the rails, let's move on. <laughs> um, chapter, chapter 10, verse 23. He says, all things are lawful, but not all things are helpful. All things are lawful, but not all things build up. Do you notice those, that those, those if you're looking in your Bible, the, the words, all things are lawful is in quotes. You notice that? There's a reason for that. The reason that that's in, that's in quotes is that this was, this was a thing that was, that was in, in the popular Roman Greek culture of that city. When he said all things are lawful, it would be like referring to some popular TV show that everyone would know about here. Um, I can't think of a good example except like he's dead, Jim, you know, some kind of like Star Trek reference or you know, whatever. Know, does everyone watch Star Trek? We, we all watch an episode of Star Trek before we go to bed every night, right? Sorry, Kara. I, Kara, I think it might be just me and you. <laughs> no, but, but see, you know, this, this, was, this was a popular culture reference that, that Paul knew these people are going to get it. And, and there, was this, there was this celebratory idea within that Roman culture that said, hey, all things are lawful. They, they celebrated this liberal attitude that, hey, it's 2019. There's no rules anymore. We can do whatever we want. Oh, wait, it wasn't. It was like 70 AD. no. The, the point is that this is still true in our culture. This attitude that like, hey, pot's legal now, whatever, you know, we can, all things are lawful. And Paul's making the point that, okay, just because you can do it, should you? And he's raising a question that as Christians, representing the church of Christ, representing God and his family. We need to consider this. All things are lawful, but not all things are helpful. 
What's the most important thing in your life? Is it, is it that I get to do what I want to do or is it that the gospel goes forward? Because if the most important thing is that the gospel goes forward, then all of a sudden now, now the things that are lawful, now we ask another question. Okay, yeah, it's lawful, but is it helpful? All things are lawful, but not all things build up. And there, there he's talking, so let's think of it this way. Not all things are helpful. Let's think of that as the gospel going forward. And not all things build up. Let's think about that as, as within the church building the body. Let's think of it that way. Because now, now we take the things that we can do, and we're asking two questions on top of that. Okay, can I do this? Well, yes. Is it helpful? Does it help the gospel go forward? If the answer is no, or especially if the answer is actually it would hurt the gospel going forward, um, then maybe don't do that. Does it build up? Like, does it take the, the new believer in your church, does it take that person a couple steps backward in their spiritual life? Do they now think, well, wait a minute, like, I am so sure that's wrong, but they're doing that. Okay, maybe maybe that's an issue like the, the, um, like the person that, that gets saved out of, I think it's, See the Jehovah's Witness or Mormonism, where they the, which one is it that believes caffeine? Any any cons, consumption of caffeine is wrong. It's it yeah. Uh, so like the the guy that gets saved out of that and still thinks caffeine is wrong. All right, he's, he's probably not going to like my coffee habit, but 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 the point is the point is in your you know the the whole like in your face. No, it's not. We can do whatever we want. That's that's not the attitude that builds that guy up. Maybe he needs to grow spiritually. Maybe, maybe he, he does need to realize that his, his conscience is, um, is kind of been trained wrong in this area. Or, but, is it, but is it my job to do that? Or does the Holy Spirit need to do that work in his life? And, and the point is, build that person up. Don't tear them down and confuse them more um, by your lifestyle. All things are lawful, but not... All things are helpful. All things are lawful. Not all things build up. Let no one seek his own good, but the good of his neighbor. Oh, man. Well, that, uh, that really changes our decision-making process, doesn't it? That, that's, that's like this radical attitude and thinking process we would have like if we were all about the gospel and like getting people saved all the time, isn't it? Which is kind of like the mission of the church. Um, to reach our community, to reach the lost people for Christ. Do you, do you realize that when God looks at people, he doesn't see normal people and weird people, good-looking people and ugly people, tall people, short people? He, he doesn't see that. He sees my children and lost people. And so often we fail to see people that simply. You know, everyone falls into one of those two categories. You really can reduce everyone on the planet into, into one of those two categories. God's children and lost people. And it makes all of the difference in the world. Let no one seek his own good but the good of his neighbor. Now, now he gets into the specific issue, and I, and I love that he does this because the Bible actually does have real answers to, to like the real issues we're trying to deal with here. 
He doesn't just give them abstract spiritual concepts and, and hope you can figure out how to apply it to the specific issue. Um, this, there was a real specific problem, eating meat sacrificed to idols. Can we do it or can't we do it? Because I, I don't know if Patrick explained this, but, but the meat sacrificed to idols, that was like the cheapest meat you could buy. That was like shopping at Aldi or maybe, maybe even more discount than that. I don't know. But like, because... Most of the culture worshiped idols. And so uh, there were a lot of sacrifices to idols and all that cooked meat had to go somewhere. They figured out they could profit off of that. So they sold that in the market, but it was already cooked. It had to be, they didn't have refrigeration really. So it had to be sold like that day. So if you needed dinner that night, you could either go get like, go to the kosher market and get much more expensive meat, or you could go to like the regular market and just buy stuff that's already cooked and not ask questions. And that's actually what Paul's telling them to do. He says, eat whatever is sold in the meat market without raising a question on the ground of conscience. For the earth is the Lord and, and, and the, the earth is the Lord's and the fullness thereof. You know, God owns the cattle on a thousand hills and he owns the hills. It, it's, it's all his. Doesn't, he's saying, okay, so they, so they sacrificed that meat to an idol. Guess who made that meat? It, 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 it's God's. It actually belongs to him. Uh, no matter what altar they cooked it on. He said, just don't ask. He said, if one of the unbelievers, this is really important because now he's talking about how, how to react and respond to an unbeliever that you've got a relationship with enough that they've invited you over for dinner. Here's a huge opportunity for the gospel, but how do you handle this issue? If one of the unbelievers invites you to dinner and you're disposed to go, Eat whatever is set before you without raising any question on the ground of conscience. In other words, sit down and don't be like, oh, uh, was this meat sacrificed to idols? Because I can't, I can't eat that. Say, don't, don't do that. Just, just eat with thankfulness what they put in front of you. He says, but if someone says to you, this has been offered in sacrifice, because that was also kind of a thing, you know, where they would be like, you know, they'd have you over for dinner and be like, this is, we are proud of this because this has been sacrificed to idols and that's why, that's why we're having it. Okay. Now you've got a different issue because now, now you're, it's no longer just going to someone's house for dinner. Now you're being asked to, to embrace and celebrate a lifestyle that is contrary to scripture. Do you see the difference? There's a big difference here. Now, now they're asking you to approve of a lifestyle contrary to scripture. That's different than just eating the, just eating the food. He says, in that case, don't eat. He says, then do not eat it for the sake of the one who informed you, not, and for the sake of conscience. And I don't mean your conscience, but his. The point is, if, if they're asking you to celebrate a lifestyle that's contrary to scripture, to go along with that misses an opportunity to take a stand for the gospel. Because, because this is different than just whether or not, like, is this like evil meat? Okay, meat is a, a formerly animate object. Meat can't be good or bad. It's, God made it. It just, it is, it is what it is. Um, but when it's, when it's tied to, and okay, now it represents this thing, saying don't, don't knowingly participate in that. Don't, don't approve of this thing. It says, here's an opportunity to stand up for the gospel because here's the thing, here's the thing. The unbeliever that invites a church person over to their house and says, this was sacrificed to idols. Let's give thanks to the idols for this. Uh, I'm sure they didn't say idols. You know, they would like name their God. But like, 
you know, let, let's, let's all give, the, you know, because they blessed this. They clearly don't know that you're not on board with that. And so you've got this opportunity for the gospel now that wasn't there before. I realize this specific scenario is probably not happening in your life this week. But I think we can find areas where this applies. He says, don't eat it for the sake of the one who informed you and for the sake of conscience. And I don't mean your conscience, but his. And the point is, you have an opportunity to, to say to them, hey, listen, I, I, I really can't participate in that. But here's why. There's a God that loves you and has a plan for your life. And there's an opportunity for the gospel there. It says, for why should my liberty be determined by someone else's conscience? If I partake with thankfulness, am I, why am I denounced because of that for which I gave thanks? The point is, is point there being my liberty when I'm not around other people. I'm just picking up lunch at the market. It doesn't matter. But if I'm with somebody who like this is an issue of conscience for them or they're not saved and they bring it up, I got to take that opportunity. It's not about it's not about, OK, this is a thing for some people, so you can never do it. You see the difference there? There's another, there's another issue of the, fun, the, the, the secondary separation fundamentalism thing. You know, the whole, like, you can't do this because it, well, I mean, you know, someone, someone could possibly maybe see you and think you're doing that and think that it's wrong, and so you should just never do it ever, anywhere. That's not what Paul's saying. And that is what some, some churches might teach regarding certain specific social issues. He sums it up here. Verse 31, he says, So whether you eat or drink, or whatever you do, do all to the glory of God. Give no offense to Jews or to Greeks or to the church of God, just as I try to please everyone in everything I do, not seeking my own advantage, but that of many, that they may be saved. Be imitators of me as I am of Christ. His point here is, listen, your motives matter. The heart behind what you're doing matters, and it matters to God. It, it, it matters to God in a big way, and it has a huge effect on, on, on your actions and how it comes across and, and, and all this. His point here, give no offense to Jews or to Greeks. So, so if, you're, if you're of the meat, of the, yeah, we can eat meat, sacrifice to idols crowd, then, then you've got Jewish people that are like, hey, you can't touch that. And like, yeah, we know you don't like it, but we're going to eat it anyway. He said, don't, don't offend them on purpose. Just don't make a thing out of it. And, and, and the Greeks, this is the, you got like the difference of conservatives and liberals. Okay, so think of the Jews as like the conservatives and, and, and the Greeks as the liberals. You know, but then like the liberals, on the other hand, don't be like, oh, hey, I can't eat that. That's evil. I can't believe you're eating that. And the, the person's like, I just got saved and this is all the meat I can like. It's the only meat I can afford is the stuff they sell there. Now you've, you've made it a thing where it didn't need to be. I, I go back to the t-shirt illustration. When you knowingly, when you knowingly offend someone else, you've lost the opportunity to speak God's truth into their lives. Think, think of the, think of the, right, let, let's, let's, let's say we're in Ocala, so there's a good chance a lot of people are going to be on board with this. Let, let's say, let's say the, 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 the t-shirt with the assault rifle and, you know, guns don't kill people, bullets 
don't kill people, people, you know, what, you know, some kind of like, you know, we're the, we're the proud, proud gun toting. Okay. Listen, I, I, I get it. I get it. We have the right to keep and bear arms and you can, you can get your, whatever, all of that. My point, my point is you project that with this proud, like, you know, yeah, I know you, this makes you mad, but guess what? I can do it anyway. Attitude. You know, there's people that are not going to care what you have to say about anything because you're wearing that. We, we could apply this to more sensitive issues and, and you, you can, I'm going to let the spirit guide you in, into what specific areas this, this hits in your own life. But, but the point is you purposely and knowingly are offensive to a chunk of the population You've lost the opportunity to further the gospel. Don't do that. It's so important. And also, don't tear down the young, you know, the new believer that still isn't sure where to draw all the lines yet. Don't just destroy them and be like, oh, you can't do that. You're probably not even a Christian if you do that. That, that kind of attitude, it, it's, not, it's not helpful and, it, and it, doesn't, it doesn't build up. All things are lawful but not all things are helpful. All things are lawful, but not all things build up. So my challenge to you is this. Ask more questions than can I. Ask questions like, should I? When it comes to lifestyle choices, when it comes to the things we say, when it comes to um, the way that we interact with, with those around us. You pray with me. again for listening. We hope you've been challenged, encouraged, and helped by God and His Word. If you want more information about Grace Church of Ocala or would like to get in contact with us, please visit our home on the internet, ocalagrace.org. And if we haven't met yet, we hope to talk with you soon.